Stampede. Garner is at number 133, recorded 4-3-2022. Let's say goodbye with a smile, dear, just for a while, dear, we must part. Don't let this parting upset you, I'll not forget you. Don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep smiling through, just like you always do, till the blue skies chase those dark clouds far away. Just say hello to the folks that you know. Tell them you won't be long. They'll be happy to know that as I saw you go, you were singing this song. We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Am I endangering my right of free speech if I call an American president a jackass or something worse? Well, that's what I'd like to do. But I'm a little worried somewhere someone would find that offensive and censor me for saying that. There are a lot of words I'd like to say in order to express my feelings about a lot of egotistical, pompous, self-serving, hypocritical buffoons that run our government. But I won't call them out, because I'm like most people in this country who can see someone for who they are, but have a sense of decorum and refrain from doing that. No, I shouldn't feel compelled to call an American president a jackass, even if there's good reason to do that. At this point, I'd remain seated in my chair when some American president comes into a room, but I might be arrested for doing that. I do see the importance for respecting the office of the presidency, so that might be a red line to avoid crossing. That is, when the president of those United States and territories enters a room, and I remained seated. I like to think of myself as law-abiding and as patriotic as the next guy. But like I said, if speaking under my breath to someone seated next to me 
when the president passed by and I said, he's a jackass, that might cause someone in our national security office arresting me and putting me in jail for an undetermined length of time. Since January 6th, the people who have power in this country have become very sensitive to criticism. And they don't like someone pointing out their mistakes. A good historical example might be the 20-year war we just lost in Afghanistan. As far as I know, not a single president and there were four different presidents, were ever found guilty for prosecuting that war, or should I say, nation-building. And as far as I know, not a single ex-general sitting on the board of a defense contractor paid a lot of money to continue that 20-year war was ever admonished for that. enough to remember when our generals were rarely seen or rarely gave an opinion about anything. In fact, nowadays, retired generals sit in front of cameras 
for news organizations hired to say just about whatever comes in their minds. They're usually dressed in expensive suits and appear well-groomed. You might say our ex-generals are nothing more than well-paid apologists for our failed military adventures around the world. I'll go even further and say many ex-generals have become very wealthy helping to supply weapon systems to our military. And we've got ex-generals as public relations men. And you could describe them as well-groomed peacocks who love to talk about our newest weapons ready to defeat any adversary. That's why our ex-military generals, admirals, and lobbyists leverage to get funding from our U.S. Congress. And they love to say, we've got overwhelming military strength. That's probably true. Well, no wonder. Our military budget is the largest of any country in the world with over $700 billion. We might actually do better with diplomats, avoiding telling other people how they should live and let them use diplomacy. After all, the rest of the world is starting to see our own shortcomings. But let's call it as it is. War is big business. And there are a lot of people in a position to gain by it. It used to be an officer, a high-ranking officer, never made much money while in the service of our country. It was common knowledge. If you couldn't do well in the private sector, at least you were able to survive if you signed up in the military. Today, We've got ex-generals who get paid a lot of money, so why shouldn't they push for armed conflicts? They live in gated communities, and their kids get to go to exclusive private schools because war pays well. We don't do better paying our military a lot of money because they're motivated to push for military means to resolve disputes and aren't succeeding doing that, which makes them advocating for more expensive weapon systems.
there's an argument for why we need more and better weapons. We think by building those things, we'll be protecting ourselves. But that makes our adversaries want to keep arming themselves with more and better weapons. I think you get the picture. It's a little like two children ready to fight each other. And one says, I dare you. And the other says, I double dare you, until they finally begin striking each other. Yeah, defense is not much better than two children saying, I double dare you. Only trouble is, in the adult world, we keep making things that say they can defeat our adversaries, and we just need to use them. And what do you think happens next? You get one of those guys who develops a sophisticated weapon system saying, let's use it. It's obvious where most of the new weapons being built are headed. And it originates from a very simple and ancient military principle. If your army fights from a position on high ground, you'll probably win. So it's obvious where this is going. We're preparing for weapons in outer space. Up until recently, there were international treaties prohibiting the use of weapons in outer space. But let's admit it, we've introduced a brand new branch of our military called the Space Force. And you better believe they've got some weapons already circulating the Earth. And you can bet your last dollar that we're not the only ones putting weapons in outer space. There's good reason to believe our production of weapons isn't really protecting us. It's producing reasons for why our potential adversaries would respond in like kind. And that only escalates our exposure for greater risk. They're opening the door for greater possibilities for mistakes. Our military has convinced the American people to keep building new weapon systems. But that isn't what we need. We need values that don't revolve around destruction.
We Americans have been tricked into believing our greatness as a country is the weapons we build, that our military should determine our fate, and it shows in lots of ways. It's reflected in the way we've been living. Violence isn't just a problem in this country. It's endemic, a way of life in how we conduct ourselves and how we resolve the most common and insignificant events. Well, we have on our expressways people using road rage to inflict pain on other drivers. It's an example of the health of this country. It says we've created a lot of angry people, and quite honestly, hiring more police or perhaps reducing the use of police to resolve that anger isn't going to get at the heart of what's happening. It's not a matter of more force or less force to punish what is happening. We built a society that honors violence and believe it will make you feel better that it's the way we should conduct ourselves when things aren't going the way we want. That's why we continue in buying guns at record numbers in this country. And let's not use the excuse that people are buying assault rifles as a means of defending themselves. No, it's a way of inflicting a significant amount of pain and isn't just to defend ourselves. Do you think we're a great country because our Constitution gives us the right to buy a gun? Well, I do believe to own a gun is one of our rights, but it doesn't mean how you should use a gun to express how you feel. I don't think it's normal for children to walk into a school in order to learn important values and could think to carry a gun. That says something is wrong, and whether we have more police or less police isn't the issue. A great nation isn't a nation that believes violence is the way to resolve the way we feel.
We've lived well beyond our time when we can hold ourselves up as a healthy nation to be admired and emulated. Those days have long gone. It didn't matter to the rest of the world that we took this land from Native Americans. The world knew history about taking something even if it didn't belong to you, just so long as the law of the strongest could survive. And as far as slavery went, the world knew what slavery was since the beginning of civilization. No, the world didn't mind those things about America's history because they saw a land of opportunity and the possibility to live a better life where people could be content. Well, that's not happening. And they've been seeing something else lately. Although millions still want to come here, the world recognizes this country's way of life isn't what it once was. The education of our children ranks 30th among other countries. In America, every major city has people living in the streets. The homeless. Crime is everywhere and of every different kind. Petty thefts to Wall Street swindles worth billions. Mass murders. Children killing children. Corruption found at all levels of government. The largest incarceration of people in the world. Attempts to make all things equal when there is no equality in nature. No, we have lived beyond our time to tell other people how they should live in this world. Somewhere, sometime, it's coming to an end. Maybe martial or military law will be instituted, but even that won't solve what we've become. We're vulnerable to the worst kind of social medicine for correcting what's happened. Things aren't going to get back to normal because the normal we lived with was a deceit, a lie that we were the greatest country on earth.
This week on Garner Isn't, you first heard a shortcut of a World War II song by Vera Lynn's We'll Meet Again from Stanley Kubrick's movie Dr. Strangelove. Then a cut from the movie Day of the Dead by John Harrison, followed by the theme to the movie On the Waterfront by Leonard Bernstein, and then a shortcut from Heptopod by Johan Johansson, then a cut from Michael Giacchino's score from the movie Dr. Strange, Hands Dealt, and finally, Burkhard Delowitz's piece from The Truman Show. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.